Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Everybody, welcome home. I just feel like I just want to wave to everybody. Good to see you all. Hey, everybody. Wave to each other. Look around. It's family. We're here. Isn't this great? This is awesome. We've been waiting to be home together. And so this is our homecoming Sunday. So glad, so glad that you could be here. And I want to take you on a journey. Uh, We've really felt in in our hearts Um, as a team, just in prayer and together, that what we really need to focus on is connection and discipleship. We need to focus on connection because COVID was very isolating. And so we want to focus on connection, not just community. We're good at community. We're going to celebrate community out there. Community's happening. More the merrier. Everybody's welcome. But there's something about what Ansi was was telling us about being missed, about belonging. We need connection. So we want to focus on connection, but we also want to focus on discipleship because what we've noticed is during COVID, it has has sort of uncovered for some of us the, the need to go a little bit deeper. We, I think we can see that in some of the ways that we were coping with life and making it through, we realized there just wasn't the strength in our walk to sustain what it is that we wanted. And, and, and we want to grow deeper in Jesus. So discipleship and connection, those are two priorities for us. So what we're going to do as part of that is we're going to really build into one another in terms of real relationship. And we're also going to dig into God's word in a, in a new way. So I'm going to walk with you through a homecoming story. We're going to look at the book of Nehemiah over many weeks, and we're going to be looking at the story of homecoming. You see, Nehemiah was living in Persia, and God put it in his heart to go back to his homeland. It was a homecoming to the nation of Israel during a time of rebuilding. And so it's a story of returning. It's a story of rebuilding, and it fits so beautifully with where we are because this certainly is a time of rebuilding. Uh, You heard... uh, Lisa mentioned that it's a time of rebuilding in church, but it's also a time of rebuilding in life, in career, in, in family connection, in comfort levels, right? All of these different spheres, we're rebuilding. We're trying to figure out how this works. And so I want to use the story of Nehemiah as a place to ground us, a place to let God's word wash over us, teach us allow God's word to become something that begins to form our worldview, form our practice, and and, and form our pathway to rebuilding. Because I really believe that what is laid out here for us is so good, so healthy, and it's going to really help us. So I wanna encourage you to lean in today. So we're starting where we should with the first book, a first verse in the first book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter one, verse one, and I'll just give you some context in, in just a minute, a little bit as we go, and then some more after I read about four verses. So here's what it says. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year while I was in the citadel of Susa. So this first verse is telling us who's writing it. It's Nehemiah. It's an autobiography. It's actually more of like his journal. Charts a lot of his thoughts, his his journey in a lot of ways. It's very insightful for us. It was a a month that would really represent in our calendar kind of November, December-ish. So he's writing maybe with a sweater on. And where it's located, Susa, is, is modern day Iran. 
So it was in the Persian Empire. It was in the height of the Persian Empire. And then in verse 2, it says, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived, that's a key word, survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. So in other words, Nehemiah has a visit. It calls him a brother, but it's just a countryman. A fellow Hebrew comes from Jerusalem Hey, how's it going out there? It's been a long time. 70 years ago, they were allowed to go back. And now, fast forward in time, 70 years, the exiles have probably, you know, really got things going, got things back together. And all of a sudden, he hears a story as if for the very first time, there's no other context for this story. He's saying, hey, how is it going out there? I'm excited. Is things, you know, rebuilding? Is it a bustle? Is the economy, like, thriving back home? And he says, no, it's a total mess. They're living in disgrace. The city walls are still broken down. There is really nothing that has been rebuilt. The gates are burned with fire. In other words, the the city is vulnerable. The people are scattered. There is not much to be happy about. And so when Nehemiah heard these things, he sat down and wept. You see, the, the people of Israel have been carried off into exile because of their disobedience to God their worship of idols, and they had been carried off into Babylon, and the Babylonians destroyed the temple, destroyed the city walls, tore down the gates, burned them with fire, left the city as a mess. And then 70 years later, some of the exiles were allowed to go back as the dominant power of the day shifted from the Babylonians to the Persians, and they were allowed to start to go back, and then fast-forwarding 70 more years, so 140 years from when they went into exile, the walls are still down. It's a long time. It's a long time. Nehemiah's probably never even been to Israel. It's a 1,000 miles from where he is. And he's, he's wondering about this. And I just want to call your attention to that very final verse that I read to you so far. It says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. You know, I got to tell you, my tendency when something is wrong is to fix it, right? My tendency is to jump to action. I want to get right in there. The kids are upset about something. I'm like, okay, no problem. Look, no need to cry. No need to be upset. I want to stop the weeping. Please, no weeping, right? Let's just, let's not weep. But that's not what Nehemiah does. He does something very interesting. The Bible says strength left his legs. He simply sat down and he wept at what he saw. What he heard, he hadn't even seen it yet. What he heard, and, and I want to learn from Nehemiah. I want to learn from me and not, Nehemiah not to jump forward. I want to learn from Nehemiah how to be in the moment, in the proper emotion. We're not always good at that. Sometimes our emotions don't match what we're actually, you know, uh, experiencing. We, we don't give room for our feelings. And so here's what it says next. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I love this process. I love what we see here. We see in this process that he mourned, which fueled a fast and birthed a prayer. 
I love that journey, and we're going to talk through that journey today, but let me start by talking about the morning. Every great work of God begins with God doing a great work in someone, and that begins here with the brokenness that Nehemiah is experiencing over the information that he's just received, the shock, the awe. He's broken. And I want to say this, God does want to do a great work in you, and it will begin with God doing a great work in your heart. God wants to lead us. He wants to lead us through misery and into ministry. That's the journey that we're going to see. That's the path of rebuilding. We've been somewhere, haven't we? We've been somewhere. And now God wants to lead us through mourning, into fasting and prayer so that something can happen. I love what it says here. It says that I mourned and fasted and prayed. It doesn't say I denied that anything is going wrong, then I fasted and prayed. Right? There's no sense of denial here. And here's the reality. Denial does not lead to spiritual health, but mourning certainly can. Now, now I know you're going like, oh, great, Andy. This is homecoming Sunday. What are you doing to us? Why are we starting here? Listen, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you to please trust me. We're going somewhere. I'm going to ask you to allow me this grace to return to what we don't want to talk about, you know, the C word, right? We don't want to talk about it. But will you please allow me the grace just to take you somewhere? Just journey with me through it all and to the end. Stay with me because I really believe God wants to, wants to lead us somewhere. And here's what I know. I know that before we can even consider rebuilding, we have to grieve and mourn what we've lost. Nehemiah went through that process. And some of you might be saying, Andy, that's what the last like 18 months has been about. There's been a whole lot of grieving. Can we just get on to the rebuilding? And I want you to hear my heart. I, I could rival anyone in this room in a desperate desire to move on. I'm ready. I want to go. I want to move forward. But I've learned something. And I've learned that we can't grow into maturity without integrating our losses into our story. And if we don't do that, we're going to remain a mess and broken with rubble all around. And Nehemiah wanted to do something for God, but it started with God doing something in him. And so I want us, please hear my heart. I want us to learn the integration, the integration of the loss into our story. It's not as though the loss has to define us, but to ignore it would be to not be true to the story we've all lived. And so let's acknowledge it, and let's see what God might say as we do that. It's like Jesus, who was, go- who was preparing himself to give his life for humanity, coming into the city of Jerusalem, up over the hill at the Mount of Olives, looking down over the city, and he stops, and he pauses, and he cries out, and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I've wanted to give you peace. It's been hidden from you. I've wanted to collect you, and you wouldn't let me. And the Bible says there he wept. He wept even though knowing he was going to restore the relationship between God and man. He wept. Why? 
because he was integrating your need and my need for salvation into his story. That's what he was doing. He was bringing those worlds together and he wept over us. He wept over you. He wept over me because of our need to be brought into right relationship with Jesus. And so let's not see that mourning is wrong. Let's not see that mourning is bad. Let's not rush to tie it up in a nice little bow and move on. Let's acknowledge the treasures that exist in our mourning. So please, I asked you to lean in. I see some of you are leaning away. I can tell. I can see it. Let me encourage you. Just lean forward just a little bit longer. Just stay with me. God's taking us somewhere. We're building an important foundation for where we intend to go. And let me just give you a spoiler alert. Nehemiah does rebuild the wall. And we will rebuild in Jesus' name as well. So we're going to get there. Just stay with me. There's a foundation here. So treasures that bubble to the surface only when we mourn. One treasure is perspective. We get perspective when we walk through times of mourning. I think of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, the Bible called him, who stood amongst the rubble at that day of final exile when the Babylonians were carrying off the remnant that remained in Jerusalem. He had just witnessed cannibalism because they were so hungry. He had just witnessed the the total destruction of Jerusalem, and he stood there, and yet in the midst of his mourning, God gives him an incredible revelation of the vastness and the love of God. And this is what Jeremiah said in Lamentations 3. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Even in this mess, even where I stand right now, Jeremiah said, his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Wow. Perspective. Perspective that comes to us only through very deep, deep mourning. One of the other treasures in mourning is honesty. Everybody gets honest when it hurts real, real bad, right? Everybody gets honest. We have a common grief. We've all been touched by the same situation. We've all had to walk through it and all the masks come off. We're just honest. We're just vulnerable. Our money can't insulate us from what's happened over the last two years. We're, we're having to process it. No one is insulated. Let's be honest because honesty comes as a treasure in mourning. And thirdly, finally, there's much more, but these are the three I'm, I'm talking through. One of the treasures in mourning is compassion. I just absolutely love what Henry Nouwen said. He said, the degree to which we grieve our losses is the degree to which we are compassionate. Because when you grieve your loss, when you walk through it, the quality of your compassion can be seen in your ability to mourn your own loss and therefore be compassionate toward someone else. It's a beautiful treasure, but here's the problem. And I, I, I want you just to stay with me for like two more minutes, okay? The problem is people don't see Christians as compassionate, And I know I'm speaking in generalizations, but they often see us as judgmental. And the reason why is because that's how we think we should deal with grief and loss. We should 
we should just go right through it as though it wasn't there. And it comes across as denial and judgmental. Instead of compassion, think about COVID for just a minute. Think about the pandemic. Instead of compassion, we would have a tendency to, to blame someone, assigning blame for what we have gone through, whether it's the boss at work, the politician in office, the organization that's causing the ruckus, or the church and what they did or did not do. It's so easy for us to get into that place where we start to judge others, personal decisions, choices about what they're going to do with their own bodies and what they're going to do with their own health and their own convictions. And we assign blame and we judge others based on our bias, our preference, our vantage point. And as a result, judgmentalism steals peace and robs us of compassion for other people. That's a bit heavy, isn't it? Homecoming Sunday. What was I thinking? The truth is, is I just want to mourn properly what we've lost so that we can build on an awesome foundation with strength and having dealt with the past so that it doesn't just fester under the surface. We have different opinions in this room about COVID, but it doesn't matter. It's a tertiary issue. We're here to build the church along Jesus, and we're going to move forward. And so, before we rebuild... Let's acknowledge what we've lost. I, I'm inviting you, Holy Spirit, to come and be here with us right now in this moment. We need you. Listen, friends, would you just bow with me for a moment? I know it's the middle of the message, but can we just bow together before God Almighty and do what Nehemiah did? Let's mourn the loss. Let's do this as a symbolic act before the Lord, as a desire for rebuilding what's been lost. We first acknowledge what we've lost. So Lord, we acknowledge we've lost people. Even this week, we lost a dear soul from our church. We've lost many people over this last year and a half. Not just to the pandemic, but we've just, we've lost people. We've lost people because they've died. And Lord, we've lost people because they've been emotionally devastated. And though we want to reach to them, we can't. Lord, we acknowledge that we've lost our way of life. There was a pre-COVID way of life. We lost that. Now we live a mid-COVID way of life. Someday we will live a post-COVID way of life, but Lord, we mourn the loss. Lord, we mourn the loss of connection, of affection without fear, of closeness. We mourn the loss of the ease that we once had with others. It, we're not quite sure now. Lord, we acknowledge that we've lost trust. We don't know what's next. Are we really safe? When will it be over? 
And so Lord, before you, our God, we mourn these losses and many other losses that are very personal to each one of us. We ask you to help us to grow into maturity, Lord, as we integrate these losses into our story And forgive us for our lack of compassion. And fill us, Lord, with love for others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I believe that was a significant moment. I think it marks something for us. And we're going to move forward. Because here's what I believe. As I read this story, Nehemiah mourned his losses, then he prayed his prayers. And this is where the message gets really fun. He prayed his prayers and he got answers. And I love the idea that we could look at the prayers of the Bible and actually begin to learn how to get prayers that are actually answered. <laughs> Some of us have prayed and we've thought, oh, I prayed, let's see what happens with that one, right? And not every prayer is answered, but there might be some sort of a pattern or some understanding that we could glean from the story of Nehemiah that actually helps us get some answers to our prayers. I believe God does answer prayer. I really do believe this. And I want you to know that I just love the recorded prayers of the Bible, but like you, I'm guilty of fast-forwarding past them. It's like I'm in the story, and then you break, and you give me this prayer, and I'm like, yeah, 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 that's great. I'm sure that was good. Back to the story, right? But I'm learning to pause and listen to these prayers and learn from them. And I want to take just like 10 minutes with you, and then we're going to be finished today. And I want us to look at these prayers, this, this prayer of Nehemiah, because it teaches us about how prayer gets answered. It's really, really awesome. So here we go. What kind of prayers are the prayers that get answered? That's really the question. The first prayers that I want to talk about are prayers that are humble. Prayers that are humble. So we're going to jump right back into our story now. Nehemiah has, has mourned his losses and now he's going to pray his prayer. And here he starts in, in verse 5. Then I said, Lord... The God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. Okay, I get this piece. God, you are up there and I am down here. I see it, Lord. You are high and exalted. I see the humility here in this prayer. You are the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Verse six, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant not just a servant, your servant. There's humility here, but there's relationship. I'm your servant, and I'm praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. What a cool way to pray. I don't pray like that, but I like it. And the reason why I like it so much is because it starts with this awesome sense of God, you are exalted. And Lord, I am thinking about somebody else. You see, this is how you know your prayers are humble prayers because they exalt God and they also are about others. They're other-centered. Now, a lot of times our prayers are bless me, help me, forgive me, teach me, lead me, save me, right? They are. And I'm not saying that's wrong. Please pray about everything. But I want you to know that there's humility in prayer when God is exalted and others are being covered. There's something awesome about that. And that's the kind of prayer that gets an answer. Prayer that is humble. Let's read on. 
Because the second type of prayer that gets answered are prayers of confession and repentance. Look at what Nehemiah says next. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Now, in the time that this was written, there was crime and punishment, crime and punishment, crime and punishment. Insert Jesus, now there's crime and grace, crime and grace, crime and grace. I'm so thankful for grace. But I'm also so ready to say, God, whatever this is, it's certainly not your fault. It's not your fault, God. You've given me a way to live my life. You've chosen to reveal yourself in your son, Jesus. I have his very words. I can read them. I can study them. I can learn them. And yet I still disobey them. God, it's not your fault. If there's any place to put some blame, I've got to take a little bit myself and say, I need the grace of God applied to this place in my life because I recognize that prayers that get an answer are prayers of confession and repentance. It's not your fault. Nehemiah was saying, I've done wrong. My nation has done wrong. You gave us the right way, but we didn't follow it. I like prayers of confession. I like prayers of repentance because it's about relationship. Now, Lisa, you love me. At least you told me you did. Yeah. How, how you love me today? Okay, thanks. But I'm glad she loves me. She loves me. But I know that she still really appreciates it when I say, you know what I did? I was, I was too distracted. I didn't listen carefully. I hurt your feelings, and I'm sorry. Is that because she doesn't love me if I, until I say that again? No. But because we love each other, we confess, and we repent, and we want relationship, and we value the relationship. Same with your Father in heaven. Value the relationship. God, I'm sorry, not because you're going to strike me dead and I have no grace, not because I'm going to go into exile because of my sin. I have Jesus who is my, my righteousness and I, I am connected to him, yet I repent because I love you and you love me. And our relationship is so key. That's the kind of prayer that gets an answer. Third type of prayer that gets an answer is the prayers that contain the promises of God. And this is probably the most exciting part of the message for me. Prayers that pray, that, that contain the promises of God. Did you know that the Bible is full of promises? So full of promises. In fact, the Bible is so full of promises that we don't even know them all. In fact, you may know very few. I want you to know the promises of God are awesome and transformative. Here's, here's the way Nehemiah explains it. He says, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if you are exiled, people are at the farthest horizon. I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as my dwelling for my name. Whoa. What is Nehemiah doing? He's reminding God of his promises. 
I got to tell you, this is maybe one of the most powerful keys in prayers that get answered is to know and to pray the promises of God. There's so many promises that are for you, that are for your children, for your family, for your nation. Learn the promises of God and begin to pray them because that is fuel for the fight, friends. And that is the way we get answers to prayer. I had have, I have this beautiful season, the season of sabbatical. It was so, so rich. I'm so thankful for it. And during that season, I was having a prayer time with the Lord. I was having a prayer day, actually. And I was, it was very rich. It was beautiful. I was journaling. I was talking to God. I was reading my Bible. And I read through this one passage in the book of Mark. And when I read it, the Lord just struck me right in my spirit. I've never heard God's voice here, but I certainly hear him here. And I felt the Lord speak to me and say to me right here, not here, that verse is for Eden, which is my 12-year-old daughter. I thought, oh man. So I flip my page. I write Eden's name at the top. I I write the verse out and, and I write my notes about what I believe God was saying and how to apply that to her life. And I'm like, yes. I get to the end of it and I say, oh, wait a second, God. You wouldn't just give me a verse for one of my kids, would you? Give me a verse. Give me more. I want some more. Give me a verse for each of my children. And I want to tell you that by the end of that day, not only did I have a passage of scripture to pray as a promise over every one of my children, but I also have a specific verse that I pray for Lisa as well. And I want you to know that I have such passion about praying God's word into the life of my children. And you know what's so fun? What's so fun is as I've been praying this, I'm now watching. My faith is lifted. I'm watching and I'm like, there's that verse at work in their life. I see it again. God's using this verse to bring life to them. God's using this verse to mold them and form them. And I want to encourage you, get a verse for your kids. Get a verse for your grandkids. If you open my Bible, I can show you right now. It says, Hannah, Johnny, Zach, Mia, Eden. I have my children. Lisa, I have my wife. And I'm praying these promises into their life. And I'm believing that those prayers are going to be answered in Jesus' name. Praying the promises of God. What a blessing. Don't be discouraged if you've not been doing that, but let's start. We're going to mourn our losses, but we're going to pray our prayers because God is up to something. And boy, what a foundation we're going to lay because God is building again. And here's the final thought. Prayers that get answered are prayers that are linked with action. Oh, (laughs) Nehemiah didn't intend just to pray. He didn't pray believing somebody else was going to do something. He was ready to leave his life and be the vessel that God could use. And I want to tell you, if you want to pray a prayer that gets answered, include yourself in the prayer. God, use me. God, send me. God, help me. God, I'm here. And that's what Nehemiah did. Listen to what he said. Lord, Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And this man was not any ordinary man. He was the most powerful man in the world at the time, the king of Persia. Nehemiah intended to do something for God. And prayers that get answered are prayers that are ready to act. And I believe 
that if we mourn our losses and we pray our prayers, we're going to have a powerful foundation that God is going to rebuild upon. Every great work of God begins with God doing a great work in you. Are you ready? You ready to rebuild? It's homecoming time. Jesus is up to something. The family's back. And God's going to help us rebuild. Maybe you're new to us. Come on. Join the family. We're going to rebuild something together. You think this is great. You ain't seen nothing yet. God's going to build a mighty, mighty work right here with your life. God's going to help you rebuild the places that are broken in your own family, in your own life. God wants to help you. And so now I just want to, at the close of this message, just ask you to sit in the presence of Jesus with me for one more moment. Would you just close your eyes and just take a moment? We're going to pray together. And what we're going to do is we're going to sit with these questions that really link into these prayers, these prayers that we just heard prayed. We're going to sit with these questions in God's presence. So Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, begin to speak to us. Do your work. First question is this. Do your prayers exalt God and include others? Just sit with that question. Think back through your prayer times. Think back through the moments in your car when you're driving or in the shower or wherever else it might be that you pray. Think about the content of those times. Is God exalted? Are others included? Let the Holy Spirit speak to you about that. A second question. Is there a need for confession and repentance in your life? You know, every one of us have figured out how to make it this far. But some of us have been medicating, been using alcohol and drugs, been eating too much food, been working too much as a way to cover it up, to find reward. Maybe there's a need for confession and repentance. Some of you have been fighting a battle of negativity and judgmentalism. It's just, it's just been a tough journey for you. Maybe there's a need for confession and repentance. Maybe you've been falling into the same sinful behavior or attitude over and over and over again. Is there a need for confession and repentance in your life? Just sit with Jesus. Just sit with that question before your God. Oh, do you know the promise of God for your current need? <laughs> if you know the promise of God, come on, let me encourage you, pray it. Write it down. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you about it. Pull it out of scripture, highlight it in your Bible, write it on your fridge. If you don't know, then let me encourage you, dig into God's word. Let him reveal his word to you as you read, as you study, as you learn. Oh, the promises of God are gonna be elevated and they're gonna match the need in your life and you're gonna be empowered by his spirit to fight that battle. Do you know the promise of God? And finally, this is for every single one of us. 
every single one of us. We're coming back. God's rebuilding something. It's homecoming Sunday. Are you ready for a fresh awakening? Are you ready to say, Lord, I want to be a part of things? Are you ready to say, I'm here, use me, send me? Lord, rebuild in my life and with my life. It's homecoming because Jesus is here. And he's inviting us to mourn our losses and to pray our prayers as we prepare to rebuild. So Jesus, we ask you, walk into the room. Awaken our souls. We're coming home, Lord. It's homecoming and we're responding. And so Lord Jesus, awaken our souls. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's stand all over this place. Let's ready our hearts before the Lord to sing this song. Let it be an anthem for you.